The Start On Demand. On demand. A Winnipeg man has been sentenced to 14 years behind bars for child sexual offenses. Today on The Start, we spoke to Joy Smith, who has worked countless hours to raise awareness around issues like luring, exploitation, and human trafficking through the Joy Smith Foundation. The inflation rate in Canada has hit a high not seen since 1991. What changes are you making at the grocery store? And we had some fun talking about chance encounters because I blew it on what could have been a positive chance encounter with a rather flirtatious woman. Because, well, I'm a stupid idiot. And this is why I'm single. I'm Brett McGarry alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. This is the Wednesday, January 19th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. And at CJOB.com, yesterday morning, we asked you the question, how was your commute if you had to go to work? Greg, you uh, got this very early this morning. You uh, went out for a rip. And uh, what did you see out there? Well, I saw lots of plows on the street this morning, unlike yesterday morning at this time. Lots of equipment going from place to place, but also truck plows In the city of Winnipeg, I saw plows on Highway 59 North, but also saw some and experienced some very clogged uh, roadways and in particular the interchange of the perimeter and Main Street. I was going westbound on the perimeter, wanted to go southbound onto Main Street, and I was almost certain I was not going to get through the snow-clogged interchange. So, Uh, There are some spots out there that you may be experiencing where the snow is very deep, where lanes disappear very quickly and almost surprisingly on you. Uh, But I can tell you this, uh, there is snow clearing equipment out there doing their best uh, to get things going. I would give it about 80% better than it was yesterday morning. So that's that's really the upside, Loren. Well, that's good to hear. That snow, the one thing about this snow, because it is just this light, much lighter uh, stuff, white stuff, it, it is a little bit easier to navigate. I don't feel like I would have, I would have been way more in precarious situations getting stuck yesterday, even walking or driving, uh, than if it had been more wet, the snow. So it's nice to see that it's, um, it's easy to move. It was easier to shovel yesterday, but that doesn't mean, Brett, that we're not getting a few cancellations in this morning, because of course it's uh, also a lot easier to blow around this kind of snow. That's right. A lot of the, the the school closures are pointing to the fact that even though some of the main roads have been cleared, side roads are not. Uh, so we have, I'll just quickly rattle off a couple here. Portage Prairie School Division, no buses running today, including all in-town shuttles and routes. Oakville and Hatterian schools will be closed. Pine Creek School Division closed. Lord Selkirk School Division closed. And uh, 14 schools in the DSFM. And that full list is uh, available at cjob.com. And um, you mentioned the, the, the snow and the drifts and wondering if we're going to get stuck. I foolishly took to the roads yesterday after work. I, you know, as I'm walking home, stomping through the snow, 
I'm thinking this is, I, I had plans yesterday to go virtual golfing at Golf Zone, which is on McGilvery, not far from the perimeter. And I thought that this is dumb. Like I shouldn't be going anywhere, but I hadn't seen my buddy Brandon in, in a few weeks and I just felt like swinging a golf club. So I thought I'd, I'd check it out. And when I came out afterward, I, I don't really understand the science on this. And maybe one of you can explain this to me. I don't know, but it's, I parked behind the building, so I was my car was uh, on the south side of this building. The wind's out of the north, but when I came out, even though the wind's out of the north, somehow it's it's blowing up against my car, and there was like a two foot drift beside my car. There was a <laughs> foot high drift behind it. I thought I'm never getting out of here. But as you pointed out, Loren, the snow was so kind of light and fluffy and dry that I was able to get through no problem. And I didn't even find the roads were all that bad. So I was thankful for that, Loren. You were in a swirly, a vortex, some sort of weird whirlpool of snow. Like I sometimes it just defies logic. You just, you just watch, well, you watch the snow with the way I'm it moves and I was up. Well, I was watching even the dog yesterday. We took the dog out. We tried to do tobogganing for about five minutes around two yesterday, and it was hilarious because it was so windy and the snow wasn't packed enough. But the dog chased the snow as it was blowing like it was something to do and was so confused because it was moving in all directions. You were in a swirly. Just can't fight it, man. Science. What? Well, you know, I, I shoveled the driveway three times yesterday. Not the entire thing, but for uh, the most part, I cleared it three different times yesterday. And uh, I did it in the morning after we got off the air. I shoveled. And then when I went back out in the afternoon to go and get the get the kids from school, uh, it, it had looked almost like I hadn't touched it because of the extra snow and the wind in particular that had blown in. And my backyard just looks like one great big giant snow drift right now. So I can see how that could happen yesterday, Brett, and all the, all the you know, the different structures and the direction of the wind and everything. So, yeah, it was an interesting day uh, to be sure yesterday in terms of uh, clearing the snow and driving in it. Uh, but uh, I would say today will be much, much better for you. If you're inside the city of Winnipeg, I will not speak uh, as to what's going on outside the city, but that wind has really died down. And I've just noticed, you're seeing now Hanover School Division can be added to the uh, cancellation list at cjob.com. Also, on the subject of wet snow versus dry snow, at uh, 6.37, Loren, we're going to hear from Global's Marnie Blunt, who is asking the question, wet snow versus dry snow, which is better? That's an important question because there's farmers, of course, who are looking for more precipitation. I think after our last snowfall a few weeks ago, Jim Toth was talking to the Keystone Agricultural Producers, and they were saying, yeah, it's nice, but we, we still need more, right? We were so dry last year that they're looking for all the moisture you can get. And then when you look at this kind of snow, how much moisture really is in it when it's this dry versus that heavy, wet stuff that we can get? So we'll uh, visit with uh, – we'll hear from Marnie at 637 about which is better. You might have your theories based on the activities you do. You know, skiing versus snow shoveling versus uh, snowshoeing. But what's better when it comes for our, our farmers and our producers? Because we know it's been a tough couple of years. So we'll hear more at 637. And Winnipeg Jets, GMAC. Woo! I guess what happened last night? I, I forgot. I, I checked the score this morning and I, I, I'm drawing a total blank. They uh, settled for a 4-3 overtime loss. They went up 2-0 and played maybe some of the best hockey they've played all year in the first 11-12 minutes last night. They ended up falling behind 3-2. They tied things up very late with an empty net uh, and then uh, went to overtime and lost uh, 26 seconds into 
one of the most uh, hated guys in the uh, NHL. Tom Wilson potted the winner, but uh, not a bad start. I think the Jets will take one point in the first of four straight on the road. Four very difficult games uh, now until Sunday afternoon when they go to Pittsburgh. But right now we want to continue the conversation on snow because Manitoba is not alone in dealing with another round of snow, Loren. Yeah, many parts of Canada are digging themselves out this week, but all snow is not created equally. Global's Marnie Blunt has more on what the recent snowfall could mean for those in our province who are trying to bounce back from last year's drought. It's here. And it's deep. Manitoba certainly has no shortage of snowfall this winter. There's a lot more snow, I think, this year than we've had in the last last year, for sure. But not all snow is the same make and model. Drier snow is what we're sort of seeing in this past snowfall. When temperatures are, you know, minus 10 or minus 15, it's usually a lot drier snow, so it's, it's not quite as you know, heavy and wet uh, to, to shovel. While it may be easier to clear and shovel, after last year's extreme drought, the soil could potentially use some of the heavier stuff. The heavier wet snow is, is typically when you have, uh, you know, higher uh, higher liquid to, to, to snow ratios. According to environmental experts, the general ratio is 10 to 1 with ordinary snowfall, meaning one centimeter of water for every 10 centimeters of snow. But that can vary drastically. In extreme dry snow, usually seen in the prairies, it can range from one centimeter of water for every 40 centimeters of snow. And on the other end, heavy wet snow can sometimes yield one centimeter of water from just four centimeters of snowfall. And while it may not be everyone's favorite, experts say a wet spring snow may be even more beneficial to the ag sector. But right now, they're just happy to see the snow accumulate. What I see out there is is great. And, you know, if we get more, we get more. I think that's will uh, be of benefit, especially with how deficient we were in moisture um, throughout the throughout the summer last year. Because after an extreme drought, any moisture is good moisture. Marty Blunt, Global News. So as downhill skiers will attest, you know, being fussy about snow isn't exclusive to farmers and and crop producers and hydrologists. Skiers want lots of snow, but only when they're sleeping, right? They want to get up and get on the fresh powder in the morning. (laughs) So the idea of snow not being equal, I understand that. But listen, uh, we need the moisture. I'll shovel it all day long, every day, if we have to, to get back into a a positive moisture situation here. And uh, yesterday I was talking to my buddy out west, Brett, and he said to me, he says, oh, maybe you guys are going to get a flood this spring. I'm like, uh, you know what? At this point, I think we'd take one. I, I hate to say that, and I'm knocking on wood as I as I do say it, but I think at this point we might take it. You would really shovel all day, every day? Well, I don't think I could actually keep up. I don't think anybody <laughs> could keep up, but I'd be willing to do it. You know, you got to do your part sometimes. And uh, when Lake Winnipeg and Lake Manitoba are so low, in particular Lake Winnipeg, they're talking about how it could affect uh, hydro rates and the ability to produce electricity to the tune of $300 million deficit of revenue next year. Yeah, keep the snow coming. 
I also want to add that one of our listeners with more sciencey background than me, Brett, has talked about the snow that came in and, and blocked your car yesterday because it defied logic in terms of the way the wind was coming. He said your bur- your car was buried in snow from eddy currents in the airflow around the building, and I replied, otherwise known as a swirly. <laughs> and they said, yes, you're, Loren, you're correct. So swirly yeah it just it it made no sense i I was parked uh behind the the south side of the building wind is coming straight out of the north yesterday and somehow when i walk out to my car the wind is is smacking me in the face and there's a two-foot drift beside my car one foot drift behind the car Um, but thankfully the snow was not uh difficult to to sort of back up through it didn't even get hung up at all so uh but if you had, you know, let us know what you experienced yesterday. Did you get stuck anywhere? Did you have any problems? 204-780-6868. And by the way, you can read more on Marnie's story at cjob.com. Right now we have a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza up for grabs. We're going to pick a winner at 915 based on your texts on chance encounters. And this is inspired by a moment yesterday that that made me think, why are you such a stupid idiot sometimes, Brett? So I'm walking home and I'm on the Osborne Bridge and the sidewalk is like six feet wide. It wasn't completely impassable, like the snow was sort of scattershot as to where it was piled up, but there seemed to be the clear path kind of hugging the western rail of the bridge. And so I'm walking alongside the rail, and there is a woman who is about 100 yards away walking towards me. She's also along the rail. And as we start to approach each other, I realize... Well, I'm on the right side. So like normally, you know, you stick to the right. But that means she would have had to go right and I guess maybe through the snow. So I wasn't really sure. I, I guess I almost wanted to play chicken. So we finally got basically almost face to face and had to stop. And I said, hello there. And she says, hi. And um, she was wearing a ski mask and full face covering. And, uh, you know, she was in a big winter boots and a jacket. She was out for a winter walk, so I couldn't really see her face. But I said, um, who's going to move? And she says, well, I, I don't know. And I'm in a rush to get home. I'm cranky from walking through the snow. So I just said, I don't have time to play chicken and I'll go around. And as, <laughs> as I'm walking away from her, I think she sounded like the tone of her voice was kind of flirty. And I was in such a rush to get home and get going because I had to go meet a friend. I didn't even stop to think, what if she actually was flirting with me? Like, why, goose. why are you such a stupid idiot, Brett? This is why I'm single. So anyway, chance encounters. Have you ever had one that went well? And it doesn't have to be romantic. Or maybe you have a, a chance encounter that was a potential botched opportunity. So let's go around the horn here. McNabb, why don't we start with you? Well, this isn't about a, a, a potential relationship, but uh, I am a huge fan of Wayne Gretzky and have been since I was a kid. And I've had the opportunity to, you know, maybe be in a scrum with him or see him in a news conference for different events. But I've met him twice and always wanted a picture with him. The first time I met him, the camera just didn't, it was like, we have to remember this is back in the day, this is 15 years ago before 
you could just take a million photos with the ease of your phone. And so the camera I ended up losing and never, ever got that picture. And so I always regretted that. And then in 2010, we're at the Olympics, my husband and I, in Vancouver, and we're walking through this huge crowd. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we look and like the, like the clouds parted and the sun shone down on Monsieur Gretzky. And I was so excited and that I, out of a crowd of thousands of people, be able to see him. And so again, still in the times of just having cameras, not phones, I turn to my husband and say, I'm going up to him. And I go up to Wayne and I say hello. And I talk to him briefly and say, would you mind? We've met years ago. I'd love to get a picture. And I turn to my husband and I say, don't screw this up. And then Wayne turns to me and says, you can calm down. I'm not going anywhere. I'll stay here as long as you want. And on my wall now, I have the most beautiful photo of him, not me. I'm looking just okay. But I got my chance encounter twice with the great one, and uh, I'm thankful for that. Wow. Nice man. Yeah. Gretzky. Jeff Braun, what about you? Uh, mine's a little bit different. We vacationed when I was 19 to Jamaica, and we got to the airport here in Winnipeg, and I was just looking around the airport, as you do, waiting for your plane, and I saw a guy and a lady, and I was like, oh, that guy looks familiar. I think he's a teacher at the high school in uh, back in Altona, I was already out of high school, but my sister was still there. And I asked her, I was like, is that one of your teachers? And she said, yep, that's my math teacher. And we got on the plane. We're flying in the air. I get up to go to the bathroom, and I see that teacher sitting on our plane. I was like, oh, I guess they're going to Jamaica, too. We get to Jamaica. We get on the shuttle bus to the hotel. Sure enough, he and his wife are on that bus as well. And they get off at the same hotel as us. And then I was like, okay, now now I got to bring it up. I, so I told my parents, I was like, look, there's Altona people staying at our hotel. And that set my mom off. She was like, I didn't fly halfway around the friggin' world to see people from town. So she went up to them and they very quickly had a meeting and plotted out the, the week's vacation to make sure we didn't do any of the same stuff at the same time. <laughs> and, uh, and it worked. It wasn't until the last night we were there that we saw them at a restaurant. And so that was, that was the relief of that one. The chance encounter turning into the no thank you encounter we want to be by ourselves on vacation <laughs> uh by the way i'm calling an audible we 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 i will find another spot for our jets commentary with paul edmonds uh because the clock is chasing us down here but i want to hear what cameron poitras has to say well um I, I i'd have to go with the time that i was in i was in europe and i was just backpacking through europe and you you made a million chance encounters uh, on that entire trip. I mean, you just go down into the the pub next to the hostel or it was in the hostel and you just sit down next to somebody and all of a sudden you're friends and you're going off to find the best schnitzel in town. You're going to go find the best bar or you're just going to go and sightsee. And you just uh, you made instant friends uh, almost you know, within seconds, because you're all there for the same reason. You're there to have fun. You're there to meet people and you're, you're there to, you know, experience new and exciting things. And so you had this immediate connection and this immediate um, thing in common with that person, no matter where they were from, it was all over the world. And so, and then sometimes you'd, you'd see them in other cities where you were backpacking or you'd, or you'd, you'd plan to go somewhere with them because you were, you, you, you had such a great time and, uh, you know, I, I unfortunately I haven't kept in touch with anybody except for uh, actually not. I haven't kept in touch with anybody, but uh, you know, it's always in the back of my mind. It's like, oh, you know what? If I'm ever in that corner of the world, I'll I'll, I'll look him up. But uh, no, it was a it was a good time. Macklin, can you do yours in 45 seconds? Mm, I'll do my best. Uh, I was walking a very secluded uh, place here in Winnipeg. I'm a big Chicago Cubs fan, and when I went to Chicago the year of my 40th birthday, I bought a rich 
Harden jersey. Rich Harden is from Victoria, BC. One of my good fr- good friend's name is Chris Harden. We used to sort of run Earls together back in the day, so I had no problem wearing his name on my back. So I'm walking down essentially a back lane into a park, uh, Bruce Park in St. James, and this lady says, that's a really nice jersey. Why are you wearing that number? I said, well, I turned 40, and my buddy Chris. But, uh, yeah, James Harden, that's my nephew. Really? Just like that. Come yeah, on. That's just like that. He's from Victoria, BC. She happened to be in Winnipeg. That's my nephew. Boom, wow. done. Just like that. I was, I was just real quick. I was sitting at a. Uh, I forgot about this. I was sitting at a, a a table at the Calgary Stampede one year, and this this couple just said, "Oh, can we sit down here?" I was there with my buddy, and it was uh, Chad Kruger's aunt from Nickelback. <laughs> Neat. So, yeah, she's telling me all these crazy stories. Right now, we want to talk about how we have a couple of really important stories that we want to talk, want to tackle this morning. Both are about safety and potentially the safety of our kids. One story involves businesses that might profit off the exploitation of women and girls in Winnipeg. The other story involves a disturbing case of child luring. So, Brett, that's where we're going to begin this hour, because earlier this month, we learned about charges that have been laid against a 39-year-old Winnipeg man after an RCMP investigation found he had been contacting young girls online and requesting they send nude images and videos of themselves. David Pearson was eventually arrested and charged with child luring and possession of child pornography. And this week, we learned that he had been sentenced to 14 years in prison, Greg. Our next guest works countless hours trying to raise awareness around issues like luring, exploitation, and human trafficking through the Joy Smith Foundation. Joy Smith joins us now. Good morning. Good morning. We appreciate the work that you do, Joy, and uh, thanks for making time for us this morning. For years, advocates and survivors of sex abuse have pushed for heavier sentences. What do you make 14 years for these charges well obviously like i have to applaud the manitoba rcmp great work in bringing this perpetrator to justice but in the courts uh that's too light a sentence you know when you work with victims of human trafficking when you work with young people and the ages that he lured were very very young um the average age of entry into the sex trade here in Canada is 11 to 14 years of age. And this uh, person, Pearson, uh, lured uh, people within that age and even younger. And the, they live a lifetime with far-reaching ramifications because of that luring experience. And it, it goes with them for a very, very long time for the rest of their lives. And to just have him have 14 years, and that is, that is far too light a sentence. There needs to be a message out there that if you lure or, or touch a child in any way inappropriately, you sexually, um, you have to pay the consequences for that. That signal isn't strong enough. The courts didn't come down with a strong enough sentence, in my opinion. The 
man involved here is David Thomas Pearson of Winnipeg, 14 years, as you said, to seven charges. There was five counts of child luring, possession of child pornography. As you mentioned, the, the ages of these victims was between 11 and 15. And and we've often heard from you know your foundation through UJOY, through the Canadian Centre for Child Protection and other groups that it, you know it's not just about this luring. It can take people down other roads and that anyone can really become a victim of luring or, or exploitation, even trafficking. How so? What do you mean by that? Because I think there's lots of people that would say, oh, that wouldn't be me or that wouldn't be my child or that wouldn't happen to us. That's the whole problem. That is why, actually, we launched the National Human Trafficking Education Centre right here in Winnipeg to bring awareness so people could uh, find some education about how traffickers work and what happens when they do lure and what you do when uh, the child gets involved in the trafficking ring or the sexual exploitation. And, of course, all this information is for free. So we wanted to have ready information because this is happening less than a kilometer from where you're sitting and I'm sitting right now. It's It's just so prevalent in our province and in our city and and I must say it's the same all across the country but the far-reaching ramifications what was this guy a trafficker did they catch him before he got to that point because their first modus operandi is to lure and online luring is extremely popular now simply because we've been through a pandemic we're still in the pandemic and they don't have um, these children don't have, they're in isolated uh, situations often, and they don't have the circle that they usually have for protection. So part of uh, what we do in the National Human Trafficking Education Center here is we teach about online luring and how families and children, um, you know, can be protected if they recognize the signs. Joy, one of the conversations I have with my boys has to do with this whole idea of accepting friend requests from people that they don't know. People want to interact with them on various social media. And I say, listen, this is what happens. And and you can correct me if I'm I'm giving the wrong advice here. But what I've told them is, you know, they're going to try and 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 if this somebody is up to no good, they're going to try and trick you. They're going to try and win your confidence. They're going to try and ask you to send something that's compromising. And then they've got you to a certain extent because they're going to threaten then to release the pictures to either to your other friends or online to the point where Mm -hmm. they sort of entrap you and to do things that you wouldn't otherwise do. Am I on the right track here? That's very wise. I I wish all parents would talk to their children that way. The online luring, a lot of kids don't even realize as much as they have smartphones and they use the computer all the time. They don't realize that the software out there can change a person's facial image and voice. And so, you know, we've had cases where kids thought they were talking to a cute 15-year-old boy. It turns out when they met them, they were a 32-year-old trafficker. And we've had numerous cases uh, on that issue. So online luring is huge, especially during this time of pandemic. And uh, the trafficking cases have increased. And we've had, I think, about almost three times the calls that we've had in past years. Joy Smith, we have to leave it there. Thank you very much for joining us today. We appreciate your time as always. It's my pleasure. Thank you for calling. Joy Smith joining us live on 680 CJOB, where it puts in countless hours on awareness for issues like luring and exploitation through the Joy Smith Foundation. (laughs) 
Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. A reminder, Loren, an important discussion coming up at 8.37. Yeah, at about uh, 90 minutes' time, the mayor's inner circle, this is the Executive Policy Committee, they're going to look at a motion that would potentially revoke the licenses of massage parlors, escort services, uh, in this city, and the goal is all about, you know, ending sexual exploitation or working to at least fight against it. So at 8.37, we're going to talk to an organization that has been saying for years that these licenses need to be changed, that changes need to be made with how we let these businesses operate in this city. Basically, if we don't, the city is, in one woman's words, basically selling women. So we'll have that important chat at 8.35 and what it means to change those licenses. And another thing that they're looking at doing that is interesting is training, better training for not just organizations that work with women and kids to spot signs of exploitation, but they're talking about maybe even training for vehicle for hire services, drivers of different ride sharing services, taxis, whatever. They might be out there at different hours. How can they play a role in spotting the signs of exploitation? So we will chat with Diane Redsky at 8.35. Right now, we want to talk about how Statistics Canada says the annual pace of inflation climbed up in December to its highest rate since 1991. The agency says the consumer price index in December was up 4.8% compared with a year ago. The reading compared with a year-over-year increase of 4.7% in November. Driving the faster pace of price growth in December were higher year-over-year prices for food, passenger vehicles, and housing. Statistics Canada says that excluding gasoline prices from its calculations. The consumer price index would have been up year over year in December by 4%. Prices of the gas pumps were up 33.3% year over year in December compared with a 43.6% annual increase in November as tightening of public health restrictions related to the Omicron variant weighed on demand. So GMAC, inflation continuing to rise. Yes, and I think we're all are all feeling it at the gas pump. Of course, we saw gas prices go up this month, ten cents a liter, as it had sort of settled in at one twenty nine nine. Now it's essentially one thirty nine nine everywhere. And I know when we're going to the grocery store, we're making some different choices. We're doing a little bit more meal planning. We're trying to make sure that we don't waste as much food, because we all know that. A lot of the stuff we bring into the house either never makes it into the oven or onto the stovetop or into our bellies. It ends up getting thrown out as waste because we don't manage, in particular, vegetables and fruits particularly well. It's a staggering number. I've seen numbers as high as 40% of fruits and vegetables never get consumed. Uh, even though you purchase them and bring them into your home. So we're trying to be a little bit conscientious because there's some sticker shock, boy, with some oh. uh, of some staples out there, including, and in particular, I think, uh, chicken, Loren. Yeah, so I was telling Greg yesterday, Brett, I, that I was in, in the store on Monday afternoon and I was going to make uh, homemade Chinese food, you know, chicken and beef and all the rest. And I thought, first of all, I'm going to buy some broccoli just to add to the stuff I already had at home. You know, lots of times you try to load the freezers with the things that are, on sale, but you still have those add-ons. And I stopped myself from buying fresh broccoli and switched to frozen because I was like, what? That's, I think it was six bucks for a, a crown of fresh broccoli. And so I walked away from that. And then I paused to look at the chicken because I like to see the deals. And then every once in a while, I'll buy the box of frozen chicken. And 
I want to say I usually pay between twenty nine and thirty four, maybe thirty five dollars for that box, or at least I would have about a year ago. It was forty seven dollars, and I just and I just said, "What? That can't even be right." I thought there might be a misprint or whatever, but I I actually like backed away as if like, "Oh boy," <laughs> and I got in the car afterwards, and I thought, "Man, like I'm I'm now considering entirely different meals or different strategies because just because that was too much." And I'm someone who is coming from a position where. I could probably have paid that, but didn't want to because of the cost. Now imagine if the dollars are really, really tight in your home and you're seeing those increases of 10, 15, 20% on certain items. Sure, the average rate is 4.7%, but on some items, it's much more than that. It might just change the way you eat altogether. And so I'm curious what our listeners are noticing. Is it a switch from fresh to frozen? Is it a switch from certain meats to other kinds that maybe pork is still more affordable to you? And, And I'm just, I'm, it gave me anxiety just thinking about where this could all go. Well, and it's frustrating too. Then when you consider that, uh, like a, the price of stuff like potato chips don't seem to be rising, and we've heard for so many years now from a lot of people saying, "I want to eat healthier, but I can't really afford it." So that, like, when you talk about the price of broccoli being six bucks, that's troublesome. I think the other day I bought two tomatoes, and they were big tomatoes. But it was like $5 for two tomatoes. And I thought, that seems like a lot of money. I mean, I know those are going to last me for a couple of weeks, um, you know, because I don't eat a ton that I throw into my salad. But still, uh, the idea that just two tomatoes cost 5 bucks, mm-hmm. Greg, kind of threw me off as I was ringing up my stuff. Yeah, no question. Uh, romaine lettuce over the last couple of years has done a roller coaster. That's sort of a staple in our house. I know Jackie loves the mini cucumbers. Peppers, those are my favorite uh, snack that doesn't involve chips or dip. And those prices are insane at times. So, you know, there's been a real fluctuation here. And hey, if the prices are up now, just wait until the impact is felt uh, over what's happening in the trucking industry. We talked about this last week, about those regulations coming in over the weekend with regards to vaccinated drivers being able to come into Canada. Well, this weekend, vaccinated uh, uh, drivers are allowed into the, the United States. Unvaccinated will not be allowed. So you're going to have that uh, stress on both sides of the border now. So uh, I think this is just the beginning. I hate to say it that way, but I think uh, here we go explains it best. Chance encounters. Have you ever had one? Has it ever led to something, like maybe something romantic, or maybe it led you to a new job, or maybe you had what could have been a chance encounter, but you blew it, you botched it. And we're getting lots of stories on chance encounters with celebrities, uh, like, for example, from Henry, Greg. Yeah, our team overnighted in the same complex where Guy Lafleur lived when he played for the Nordiques in Quebec City. He came down and had dinner with us at the same table. He was my favorite player as a kid, so it was pretty cool. Never realized how much he smoked as an elite athlete, uh, legendarily, actually. Also stayed in the same hotel as Mick Jagger and Cindy Lauper. It was neat to see them as just normal, real people. Thanks, Henry. As always, we appreciate your story. And Loren, uh, Ruth weighing in with, she remembers the date? August 25th, 1986, I was walking to my job at Mr. Green Jeans when I was approached by a group of men looking for directions. Seems half their group was staying at that fancy hotel at the corner of Portage, Maine, and the rest were at the Holiday Inn across the street from my work. 
The group from the Portage Main Hotel were lost, looking for the other hotel, walked with the group to their des- destination, didn't really think anything about it, till I walked into work and my coworkers were losing their minds because they had seen me walk past the window chatting with ACDC. <laughs> I didn't even realize. Oops, says Ruth. Oh, that's the best. Can you help me out? Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> You're who? That is fantastic. And, bliss. and this is all inspired by the fact that I was walking on Osborne Bridge yesterday um, and I came across a woman who was in the same sort of path line. We were both along the rail because the sidewalk was a mess and we stopped and I said, hi there, which one of us is going to go around? And she says, well, I don't know. And her tone of voice was sort of flirty, but I was in a rush to get home and I didn't even think to flirt. I just said, ah, I don't have time to play chicken. And I walked around her and then I realized I'm a stupid, stupid moron. So that was my potentially blown chance encounter. So Tell us a story. Chance to win a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. Mackling McGarry and McNabb. In our next segment, we're going to give away our $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza based on your text messages on chance encounters. But right now, we want to talk about how for the 10th year in a row, the St. Boniface Hospital is among Canada's Leading research hospitals taking the number one spot in Western Canada and ranking in the top five nationally. This, according to data released by Research Info Source Inc., Canada's source of R&D intelligence. So in affiliation with the U of M, the U of W, and Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, St. Boniface Hospital Research has four research programs, which people might not be aware of. There's the Institute of Cardiovascular Sciences, the Division of Neurodegenerative Disorders, the Canadian Centre for Agri-Food Research in Health and Medicine, and Clinical Research. And within these facilities, there's 30 laboratories, 250 staff that serve as a training ground for more than 450 students. There's also the home to the RBC Youth Biolab Jeunesse, which is a space for students and teachers to explore and experience real biomedical science in a world-class research center. In fact, just this past year, they they reached out, Greg, virtually. I know my kids were able to participate in different programs via that lab. And so the outreach here for so many facets is huge. Yeah, Stephen Jones, who runs that lab, is an incredible ambassador for St. Boniface Hospital Research Centre, as is our next guest. The work taking place at Elbrickson and Asper Research Centres on the campus at St. Boniface Hospital truly is world-class. Michael P. Schubert is Executive Director of Research at St. Boniface Hospital, among his long list of credentials, joins us now. Dr. Schubert, thanks for this and congratulations on receiving this recognition yet again. Oh, good morning, and thank you for that. Uh, I'll, I'll extend that thanks on the on the behalf of my colleagues because uh, it's really their efforts that uh, that bring them uh, to this ranking uh, year over year. Uh, they've been very competitive. Uh, they do a lot with the resources that they have. We have tremendous support from the St. Boniface Hospital Foundation, and uh, and it's very exciting to see uh, that recognition again. So, whether the world is in the midst of a pandemic or not. Why is medical research so critical uh, to you, me, to to our friends and family? Well, you know, we tend to think about research as uh, being in in silos. You know, the way uh, you know Lauren had just mentioned about the different kinds of areas that we study here. Right? We've got uh, a neuroscience unit. We've got a cardio a cardiovascular science unit. We've got a functional food unit. Um, but the reality is, you know, when you 
do research, you can pivot and start to look into other areas. We have people that are doing work not only in the cardiovascular field, but are pivoting to look in cancer as well, because it turns out some of the signaling pathways that are, that are playing a role in one tissue type are playing a role in disease like cancer as well. Um, and when you're a researcher, you can pivot and start to shift and look at those new things. In the past year or two, a number of our researchers have started to look at uh, various questions related to COVID as well. So, you know, we have our areas that we focus on, but then we are able to also change our lens and look at other things as well as, uh, as those questions start to come up. How does it feel to have some of those aha moments, doctor, in terms of, you know, just when you're thinking, well, has anybody thought, what if we looked at it this way? Or what if we did that? And then you suddenly find yourself on the cusp of a really uh, major groundbreaking surgery or invention. And what's it take us into the mind and the room with researchers as they go through this, uh, the light bulb moments? You know, that's, that's, Probably, I think, for most of us, I, I'm certainly speaking for myself, but I think most uh, researchers that I've spoken with say that that's really what makes it worthwhile. That's really what you want to do, That the idea that you're discovering something new and maybe this is going to make a difference, that it's going to help people down the road. And there's, there's nothing like it. it. It really is exciting. You know, uh, you know working in research, there's, uh, there, there's uh, a lot of tears and a lot of joy, you know. Um, and uh, sometimes you're trying to figure out why did things not work out the way that we thought it was. And you've got to realize, well, sometimes, you know, the theory is wrong. Nature is telling you something else is going on here. And when you figure that out, there's nothing like it. It really is exciting. And, and then you start to think, all right, where do we go next? What can we do? How do we build on this? And uh, personally, you know, when we get those surprises, that's the most exciting things. I, one of my favorite old sayings, and I don't know who originally said it, was that the greatest discoveries are not preceded by Eureka, but by somebody saying, well, that's strange. You know, what happened there? And we're trying to figure that out. What's the economic impact of the research done, the research work being done at St. Boniface? Well, we know that for every uh, dollar that we uh, uh, that we invest into research here, we bring in uh, about seven dollars of external funding that matches that, and that's a big driver economically. I mean, we have you know our people here are citizens of Winnipeg and citizens of Manitoba. They, you know, pay for their mortgage, they uh, buy their cars, they buy their groceries. That money comes here and then it stays in our local economy because we are. We are members of this community that uh, buy, and just like everybody else, every one of your listeners, we, uh, we're, we're invested in Manitoba. And I can think back a, a decade ago and the economic impact of uh, pea protein as an example. You know, Dr. Heather Blewett, who does incredibly groundbreaking research on that front, and then now all of a sudden we have one of the world's largest pea protein processing plants anywhere in the world near Portage La Prairie, and you can't help but wonder if those things are all connected, Michael. Absolutely. I, I think that probably a lot of attention gets paid to the kind of work that we're doing here and the kind of expertise that we have locally. Uh, and, and the really exciting thing is you can get people that work together in new ways. I mean, again, it sounds like we have silos, right? Like neuroscience, cardiovascular science, and functional foods. But the reality is there's a tremendous overlap between them. Uh, we just had a, an announcement last week that a paper came up from Dr. Amir Ravandi, who's one of our cardiologists, and it was in the American Journal of Physiology Heart and Circulatory Physiology, one of these big cardiovascular journals that gets a lot of attention. And they had the fourth uh, most cited paper in 2021. And the people that contributed to that were from all of the units within the St. Bonaventure Albrechtson Research Center, So they, uh, as, as well as uh, from the clinical side. So they all contributed. Even though they come from these different you know, research silos, they are able to work together and, and push research in new directions. Do you get asked often, 
on this, you know, by friends or at dinner parties or on the street, like, could you come up with something for this? Like, how often does someone say to you, I'd like someone to invent fill in the blank? <laughs> yeah, no, that, that does happen where people uh, come up with ideas or uh, quite frequently it'd be like, uh, you know, I've been feeling this weird symptom lately. What do you think about that? <laughs> you know? uh, I was thinking you know. more you could tell me that chips were good for me. And I, maybe you could research that and find a way to, like... <laughs> Make that Absolutely, make you know, sense. So, so, so actually, sometimes you know, it's it's a conversation like that um, where you say, you know, that's an interesting idea, or someone says, you know, in my uh, in my culture or my background, we've got a long history of thinking about, say, this particular kind of food as mm-hmm. being good for you. Is there any science on that? And often that's what then drives people to say, you know, let's take a look at that. And so we do have functional food researchers that look at things like uh, lingonberries or flaxseed, or uh, sometimes uh, there's uh, more and more uh, research being done in things like garlic that we all hear Mm -hmm. these stories. Oh, garlic is supposed to be so good for you. Well, let's do the science to find out if that's actually the case. Dr. Schubert, I know sometimes I call you Michael by ha- a habit. It's been a long uh, relationship and friendship, and congratulations again. This is uh, just wonderful news. We appreciate you taking time because I know you're on a conference call right now, so thanks for ducking out for a few yeah. minutes with us. And taking questions on chips. I appreciate that. <laughs> My I'm pleasure. sure that's no, what all your letters behind your name are for. <laughs> no, thanks so much. It's, uh, it's great to talk to you. It's great to talk to your listeners, and I wish everyone a great day. Stay, in, uh, you know, stay warm. Uh, it sounds like we're warming up a little bit on Friday, so I'm looking forward to that. Dr. Michael P. Sherbert, Executive Director of Research at St. Boniface Hospital, among many other things on his long list of credentials. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we are talking about chance encounters for a chance to win a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza. Could be an encounter with somebody who maybe became your future significant other, or maybe it led to a different job, or maybe it was a brush with celebrity. And Greg, start us off with Rose. She says, hello, Greg, Brett, Loren, lost chance encounter. I used to work in Ottawa on Parliament Hill. I met many celebrities, but the one that excited me most was Matthew Perry. My boss was good friends with his mom. They planned to set us up when he came back to Ottawa, but he never did. Too busy at the time on Friends. Oh, man. (laughs) That's cool. Uh, Loren, where do you want to go next? Let's go to Wendy. Wendy says, when my two children were very young, I was a stay-at-home mom, but worked two part-time jobs to help put food on the table. One of the jobs was doing the welcome wagon, which was when you'd go visit people with a package of info about their new area. Transcona was Wendy's area. Yeah! She visited a couple, offered Wendy a job. 25 years later, Wendy is still in that industry. It's the beauty industry, I think she texted back to say. And so I think that's cool. You meet somebody, next thing you know, you got a job. Next thing you know, you got a job for life. Chris says, um, I never had a, a chance encounter per se, but in the late 90s, early 2000s, a co-worker of mine was in the concourse in downtown Winnipeg early on a Saturday morning to meet his investment advisor. Not a soul around, but he sees two guys off in the distance walking towards him. And when they got closer, one of the guys asked him with a few expletives thrown in, is nothing open in this godforsaken place? as all the shops and restaurants are, for the most part, closed on the weekends. <laughs> Turns out it was Steven Tyler and one of the other guys from Aerosmith. Anyways, after he told me this, I said, are you sure it was Steven Tyler, being it was 8.30 on a Saturday morning and all? I mean, I couldn't believe he would have been up that early on a Saturday, given his, you know, history. Well, he claimed it was, as they were in town for a concert. So... <laughs> Imagine that, Stephen Tyler just wandering around wondering, where, why is everything closed? I'm hungry. 
I got to bake off this hangover. Uh, when I was working with Global, one of the photographers went to go interview Stephen Taylor, and she and I went with her just for fun. And he always wore those really thin shirts, you know, yeah. like see through, and had them open. And she's like, "Where am I? Uh, I need to put a mic on you." And he's like, "Tape it to my chest." And so there we were, just said the weirdest Stephen Taylor. And while she's taping, he's like, "Loving and loving." And the whole thing was very weird, but awesome. Is there tape on this? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so, but I, I vividly recall it. Okay, Mackling, who's our winner? Around three years ago, my wife and I were at the Toronto airport. This is from Phil. My wife have, had gone to uh, to get something, and when she returned, she tells me, I think I just spoke with one of the hosts of Global National Morning Show, that <laughs> Jeff MacArthur guy. <laughs> I told him, I watch your show every morning. He was very nice. That's cool, I said. We then landed in Winnipeg, and my wife says, there he is. I said, you spoke to him? You know that's Ron McClain, right? <laughs> she says, is that the hockey guy? I must have thought, what show is she watching? I just shook my head. I missed my chance to encounter, or my chance encounter to meet Ron. I still don't know how she mixed them both up. The gray hair, maybe? And I'm looking at Jeff MacArthur and Caroline McKenzie on my television right now. Uh, it doesn't really look like uh, Ron McLean, in my opinion. I it's can... one of those things, though. You you see them, right, Brett? And you think, I know I know that person. And then the, you think of the name, and it's not the right one. But there's, like, some similarities. The yeah. same head shape. My favorite part of that story is her innocently saying, is that the hockey guy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, way to go, Phil. Great story. Great stories to all of you. Thank you for sharing, as always. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us today on 680 CJOB, Winnipeg's News. Today's talk at a time when ongoing pandemic-related stress and anxiety is showing an increase in mental health challenges and addiction issues. Two Winnipeg women are using their lived experience to ensure family members and educators who are caring for those who are struggling are receiving the necessary support they also require. Yeah, because there's people looking for support, Brett, but there's also people who want to hear from those who have been through it. And so our next guest, they're, they're mothers of daughters who have lived with mental health issues, and they have come together to create all-in-family peer support. So this is a non-profit organization that will provide value-based peer, peer support, workshops, and education to help build a community of understanding, acceptance, and hope for family members while supporting their own well-being. Well, let's say good morning to Kirsten Drybro. She is Director of Education and Family Peer Support at All In Family Peer Support. Good morning, Kirsten. Good morning, and thank you for having us. It's our pleasure. We also say hello and welcome back to CJOB to our friend Charlotte Tooley-Stitnick, Director of Development and Family Peer Support with All In Family Peer Support. Hi, Charlotte. Hi. So glad to be back on your show, Greg, Brett, and Lauren. i Really have missed talking with you and I'm excited to tell you all about All In. Well, you know, this has been a difficult time for a lot of families, a multitude of issues for many. And it's sort of ironic, uh, I guess, or coincidental, if you like, that we receive a text message just in the last hour or so from a loyal listener who knows how often we speak about mental health issues and and know that we advocate and, and do our best to to uh, to do that advocacy in our community. And let's, let me read this for you. Two days ago, my daughter reached out to me 
and said she needed some mental health help. She wanted to see a therapist. As a parent, I thought that was a very big question and a very big thing for her to do and for her to ask for help. So I reached out and I've contacted over 20 different therapists, 20, and not a single one is taking new clients. When asked if they could recommend anybody, they didn't know of anyone taking new clients. And as a, as a parent, the question is asked, what do I do? So Charlotte, it doesn't get more real or direct than that. What does this parent do? Oh, you know, and, and Greg, we, we hear that daily and I mean, that's the reality of where we're living in. And, uh, and what my hope is that um, your loyal listener is listening and she reaches or he reaches out to Kirsten and myself and uh, we can start the process of talking. So what does that look like? Um, that's our reality. It's really hard to navigate the system. There is those wait lists. There are still um, clinicians, you know, psychologists, um, counselors that are taking. It's just really, really hard to find. Um, what we always talk about is there are some other resources out there. There's some online options. Um, and that's where um, our role is just, you know, sharing what we what's worked for us. We have a whole lot of families that we work with. They've given us what works for them as well. And, and, and it's just introducing them to some other options um, that might work for their family's story. Kirsten, can you tell us about your road in helping creating all-in family peer support? Uh, absolutely. Well, Charlotte and I met several years ago. We uh, certainly both have a family story of um, having, having a, a child that has struggled with mental health. And we approach all the work we do at All In Family from what was missing in our own family story. So going back in time, there was a lot missing. And one of the biggest things for my story, and I can say this, I think, for Charlotte as well, is that we felt like we were the only one on the planet, the only parent that was actually dealing with a mental health challenge within our home. And it was really isolating and it was really lonely and it was absolutely terrifying and we couldn't, I couldn't find supports for the family. And I didn't even really have my head around the idea that my family needed support as well as my daughter. But the reality is when one person in the family unit and family is to us what family is to you. So we're not holding anyone to a traditional model. It's whoever you identify as near and dear and family in your circle. Um, you know, when one person in that family is struggling, the entire family unit is struggling and, and there's need for support. And that's, that's where All In Family was really born, what was missing to support our family in a really difficult time. Charlotte, let's expand upon that a little bit because I think it's part of the equation that is often ignored. Someone in your family, whether whatever their struggle might be, the tentacles of that, how it reaches out and impacts, and, and so they might be struggling with a mental health issue, but if you don't talk it out and deal with it with your friends or with your peers or or get help yourself, then the next thing you know, you might be going down the road of struggling with an additional mental health. It really can have far-reaching impacts if the whole nucleus, so to speak, isn't talking, Charlotte. You know what? And absolutely. And we work with families. Um, I'm working with uh, one parent who has a really, really high level job and um, she's living with, you know, huge stress of supporting her child. 
and the impact it's having on her her work as well because you know she's trying to concentrate and she's terrified of you know what's going on at home and um and it's, so it's even taking it back into the workplace and um and the other siblings in the family you know how the impact it has on that and I know for Kirsten and I, you know, when you reach out to your friends, if they don't understand what you're going through, um, and they mean well, but they can add a whole level of, um, you know, we talk a lot about you start to feel like um, there's some shame around it, or you're blaming your own parenting style for what's going on, because, you know, they just they just don't have the tools to understand what's going on. And it's not intentional, but it sure caused um, you to feel terrible about what's, you know, what you're doing as a parent. I know for Kirsten and I, we felt that for a long time we were the blame for it and we weren't. Um, it was just something that was going on in our family. Kirsten, it's an impossible sometimes to not feel and take on that blame yourself. So when you realize you're not alone, I think that's, that's obviously helpful uh, if you're dealing with a mental illness yourself or one of your children or, or someone that's close to you that you're trying to support how do you make sure that you're not overstepping with the person that you're trying to support? It's one thing if your son or your daughter or your, or your niece or nephew come to you and say, Hey, I need this help. But if, if you're seeing signs that they do need some support, how do you navigate that? Yeah. You know, that's a great question. And, and that's a lot of what we do as trained family peer support workers. So we kind of, we get, families to, to kind of step out of their regular response, their regular pattern, uh, which can often, and, and I absolutely am one of those parents, um, you kind of, A happens in your house, you react with B, and this is just how things go. But when we get families to take a step back and try a different approach and perhaps be really curious, um, we talk a lot about validation and communication skills, um, and how to truly support that person without kind of coming from your own agenda and being driven to fix, save, and solve that person and come up with answers. Because really what we want to do is we want to support that individual who's struggling. Um, We want to be there for them as a true supporter in that role and walk beside them um, so they're not alone and and we can contribute and have influence. Um, However, I I certainly did this uh, as a mother, um, Sometimes we get caught up in um, we need to fix and save this and we need to do all we can so they don't experience pain. And we kind of take away uh, from what is really happening and empowering that individual to come up with answers and to take steps for themselves because we just bowl in and we're ready to, to, to do what we need to make it all right. And Charlotte, when it comes to helping people with uh, issues like addiction, um, how does peer support fit into the the services that are already available? Well, what we do is, again, we're supporting the family. So um, whether you have a mental health challenge or an addiction challenge that's going on within your household, um, we're just adding that um, extra layer, level of support or layer of support to the family. So I know that um, there's some great programs out in Winnipeg that are education um, for the family that you can attend, like at AFM. Um, CMHA has a family education course, but we're offering another um, Tonight, for example, at 7 o'clock, we have an amazing group of uh, 
families that get together on Zoom for a family peer support group. And um, many of the families are supporting an individual with addiction. Many of them have uh, mental health challenges. And it's just um, we get together, we talk about what's going on at, in the here and now, um, what supports they're using to not only support themselves, but to support their intervi- the, the individual. And then they're sharing with each other um, what's worked for them, you know, what they've tried, because there's great resources in Manitoba, and there's really great ones across Canada. And collectively, we've got a really great knowledge base, and people are stretching into Ontario and um, taking courses and um, in BC and with this world of Zoom, um, you know, there's lots more opportunity out there. Charlotte, Kirsten, thank you so much for this. We appreciate you very much, Charlotte. Quickly, we got to let you go, but how do people reach out? Um, allinfamily.ca, um, and uh, there's a way you can register and you can reach out to us. And then there's a phone number too. Um, we're here. And uh, hopefully some of you guys will join us tonight at 7. Love to meet you. All right. Well, thank you so much to the both of you for joining us live on 680 CJOB. Charlotte Tuli-Sitnik is Director of Development and Family Peer Support with All In Family Peer Support. And Kirsten Drybro, Director of Education and Family Peer Support at All In. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.